0: ESPN Las Vegas.
1: I am Steve Cofield
0: Come on and do it with me. The tight shorts typhoon. I'm like a, a leaf blower. I'm like a wood chipper. I'm like a, a blender on puree. I
1: need you. I am Steve Cofield 351
0: pounds, allegedly. Even if he does look like Eric Gregg ate James Tony. Now I'm very angry.
2: With Steve Gofield and Adam Hill. Every single one of you are going to get punished by God. You cannot escape God.
3: It's...
1: All right. Friday, 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 Friday. Oh, boy. It's getting nice out. Everyone's taking their mask off. No mask anymore, baby. We'll get to the the news yesterday that the masks are coming off and how the NFL is reacting and how the NHL will react. But, of course, Adam Hill, you know it is a no-conflict Friday. So, of course, we have to start with a minor skirmish. Did you see? did you see one of the airlines just being real obnoxious to an NFL player, Mark Ingram, all pissed off. Hey, United, y'all just going to not put my check luggage on the plane. I have appearances, events. Now I have no clothes. Shake my head. I tried y'all out. I'm going to try to avoid it from here on. And uh, some smart ass kid probably tweeting for United Airlines responded,
2: you're rich, buy clothes. Wow. 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 Uh, Usually when a celebrity complains about an airline on Twitter or really any product on Twitter, you immediately get the company to just, you know, go all out into defense mode and to damage control and really be helpful and, and check in and say, hey, listen, how can we possibly help you? In this case, United just coming right out. You're rich buy clothes. That doesn't seem right.
1: I'm never flying United
2: again maybe you should well or at least maybe you should not 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 fly them because of this uh, this was uh, an elaborate elaborate ruse uh, Chris long has done this before by changing his Twitter handle to represent a company and then going after one of his fellow NFL players or fellow athletes and uh, in, in this case it was just him changing his Twitter name to United Airlines and going after Mark Ingram for his complaining. About losing his luggage online.
1: Oh no, he got me.
2: <laughs> you got a darn Schefterd.
1: I got a darn Schefterd. Oh man, God, I'm a buffoon, man. Oh man, I, uh, I actually, I noticed pretty quickly that uh, it was a joke. But I will tell you, for five seconds, I was like, "Ooh, we got a story." Like I wasn't outraged, but I'm like, "Ooh, I got to look at this." And then when you click on it, you can see it, it's it is a great great attempt to F with someone. Oh, yeah. Because the he, he changes the uh, you know, his his title and puts in the logo and like we're also teed up all the time for fights for Twitter battles that for about 10 seconds I was like, oh, we got one here. This is this is crazy, man. Who was in a bad mood at United Airlines? But yeah,
2: but you also he's, helped a,
1: out- he, he's a brilliant dude. He is a he's a brilliant dude. He's funny and uh, I'm glad there can be some levity in these times as we're uh, battling and brawling
2: on the streets of America. Sure, but he also helped out in his case because uh, he's verified. So it not only says United Airlines and has the logo, but it's a verified account. And so you're like, wait, whoa, okay. Now, I actually do kind of feel bad for whoever's running social at United a little bit. because They did respond to Mark Ingram's tweet. And they were like, "Hey, please let us know your confirmation number, so we could try to figure out where your bag is and, and do our best to help you out." But it was like so buried in the replies because everybody was only concerned about the joke reply that it was it was tough to even find that United actually did try to help him out there.
1: So that is trending at two as we start out on a Friday. We got a, a great show on the way later this hour. We're going to talk to former Rebel Curtis Terry. Also talk to former NFL running back and current top-notch college football analyst Robert Smith will be with us. And later on the show, Tubby Smith is in. Tubby Smith will be in with us. So really good show, really good show on the way. And we'll also feature uh, more of the Raiders schedule. We're bringing on folks from the markets, folks who played for the teams that are going to be coming here for the first time in front of fans, right? So later in the show, we'll, uh, we'll hunt down a former Raven to come on. Uh, did you notice this one? This one kind of slipped through, and it's not the biggest deal, but. Did you see a lot of the uh, the graphics out there uh, for the Raiders' schedule? Um, and I, I thought the the main one had a uh, Vegas logo on it, so I assumed it was official Raiders, but I don't know if this is official Raiders or not. Did you see the one with um, a bunch of the Raiders' players on the schedule and there was an important player missing?
2: Uh, well, yeah, kind of. So, yeah, I mean, I did see, you know, there's three, what was it, three offensive players for the home games, I thought it was, and three defensive players maybe for the road games. I mean, year. I thought...
1: That's this, how they worked this, it out. It's just tweeted out by the Raiders, so it said, so you don't forget. And then uh, who are the players on
2: the home games and the road games? Um, I can see Darren Waller as the prominent player uh, on the home games. Um, numbers are kind of hard to read for who the, who else is there. And they're all in helmets, so it's kind of tough to see. I think Jonathan Abram might be for the road games with Max Crosby. Or Max Crosby, yeah. And Klee in his old jersey. Uh, Big deal,
1: right? 99 now. 99. (laughs) Most trafficked R.J. story of the week. The 99 jersey change for Klee Furl. So the whole point is uh, no Derek Carr on there. We know Team Carr gets a little bit sensitive, so I wonder what they were thinking about this uh, schedule. That was sent out. All right, on the way back, we're going to get into what's happened uh, the last couple days with the NHL. What a freaking joke. Thanks to the Kings not even trying, 11 to 1 in two games they lose to the Avs. And now the Avs have control throughout the playoffs, and the Golden Knights do not.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN
1: Las Vegas. Hey. Hey.
2: Now,
0: back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas.
1: Friday, we got the hockey playoffs set, but you know Adam Hill, frankly, uh, we knew what they were going to be. Well, I actually didn't. I was actually buying into, I was going to say I knew what they were going to be a couple days ago. I actually bought into the integrity of the league and that the teams that are, were crap and closing out their season would actually try and show some gumption, show some drive. What the hell was that the last two days? And listen, the Knights benefited from it, too. The Sharks were terrible, and they blew them off the ice 6-0. But the Kings against the Avs, 11-1 in two games, come on.
2: It was ridiculous. It was, it was a preposterous effort put forth, but about what expect what effort was expected to be put forth. I mean, the, the lines in those games were not only as big of hockey lines as I've ever seen, um, lines that I never thought were, were imaginable. I mean, they rose up in some spots over minus five dollars (laughs) yesterday. Like that was that was the game that was expected to be played. I think. I think the only kind of weird thing was that the the Avalanche didn't start uh, Grubauer uh, in a game that you would have thought was kind of must win. Uh, But yeah, they completely dominated the game from the beginning to end in both days, just like the Knights did against the Sharks with teams that had zero business to be playing. And you know, I I know that. You know, hockey fans are like, you know, they love to point at other sports and say, oh, you never see that in hockey. You do. You do see that in hockey. It's human nature. It's human beings. So you see that uh, when there's nothing to play for and there's no reason to be playing, you're not going to see a whole lot of effort. And guys that are ready to have the season over with. Um, one side has something to play for, a major thing to play for. The other side is nothing. Uh, that's what you're going to see. And I, I really love and I know that you're excited about this. There's going to be regular season hockey next week while there's playoff hockey going on. I don't even get this concept. Why is this happening? What's happening? So a couple of teams. Uh, well, first of all, there's games tonight. Uh, there's games tonight, which I I actually really interested in seeing how this plays out uh, because if you if you look at the Canadian division and I can't remember who the sponsor is, so I won't I won't uh, give them credit. Um, Toronto and Winnipeg are playing tonight. Like the season is over. This is a, kind of a makeup game. Uh, that they have, and they're both going to the playoffs. So why are they, st- why are they still playing? The game is irrelevant for seeding. They're, they're pretty much done. Um, they're just going to get out there and play this game, which I, I don't really understand. Toronto has already wrapped up the one seed. Winnipeg's already wrapped up the three seed. Like, why are they playing? Uh, but then next week, uh, you've got uh, games uh, three nights next week um, involving the Flames and Canucks, who are trying to make up their schedule. Uh, the, the, the the Canucks are way behind, and so are the Flames. They're going to play three times next week. Uh, you've also got Canucks Oilers uh, in kind of a meaningless game on Saturday. It's just, it's so weird, but they're trying to all play the same amount of games. I mean, there's, there's contract issues with some players that have, you know, incentives and that sort of thing, and they're also trying to make sure everybody gets their equal amount of games for the season. I'm sure TV deals are involved as well. Um, so they're going to get these games in. And so next week, while you've got playoff hockey going on, you're going to have teams playing each other in regular season hockey games that mean absolutely nothing while then they go home and watch teams play in the playoffs for, for a purpose, which is just, it makes no sense. And I'm fascinated to see what kind of effort you're going to get.
1: Amazing. Uh, Some tickets went on sale yesterday for the Vegas golden Knights. There's a, there's a demand. We'll say that there's a demand. There's a passion, especially when you're letting in less than 8,000 now, They've bumped up that number, but still not up to, you know, 60, 80% uh, on the number. Did you see Ted Pretty, local weatherman, one of our favorites? Yeah. Fox 5 calling out the Knights, I guess indirectly calling out Bill Foley, said, uh, love you, Knights, but 3 a ticket plus fees for the last row of the lower bowl is insane for round one. How
2: do you respond to this? I mean, what is insane? Like uh, people are people are going to pay it. Why wouldn't the tickets be that much? I mean, I, I, listen, I'm a, you know, Steve, you know me. I'm a man of the people. Uh, but this is what, you know, this is what the market bears. And so, you know, I, I don't, I don't know why they would make the tickets cheaper than, uh, than what they would if they can get that much money for the tickets and their limited capacity. So there's going to be a much higher demand.
1: Could you argue going to that? Pay them. Could you argue that the fans who helped get hockey here in the first place who haven't been able to go to the games consistently deserve a little bit of a break? Or is it just, hey, the free market's the free market? Like I was saying yesterday with the Raiders, right? It's going to be really hard and really expensive to get Raiders tickets. And I think a lot of Raiders fans outside of the market when they saw some of the secondary market prices yesterday are like, what is going on? This is not fair. Is it about being fair? Um you know, in the case, I, I think it's a little bit different with the Knights. Like I said, uh, you, you know, a lot of these fans jumped on board and they were part of, you know, that minimum amount of season tickets that needed to be sold. And they have stuck with the team and they still are passionate and they haven't been able to go to games because of the pandemic. I think it's an interesting argument. I get your point. Hey, if they can get it, they're going to get it.
2: Yeah. Uh, and and by the way, if they did make them cheaper, all you would do is see these same prices on the secondary market. Like that, That's what would happen. And so... It's it's is the t- and I guess you can make the cl- the case in that in that scenario that, hey, the fans deserve to make money off the tickets. So they deserve to buy them cheaper so they can sell them for more, I guess, would be the you know how you would get to that, um, you know, scenario. But uh, yeah, like th- that's what it's going to cost to go to the games. And, you know, does it suck? Yeah, kind of. Um, I I definitely feel for people that want to go to the games and they can't that are priced out for sure, but it's not like these tickets are sitting you know empty, like it's not like there's a bunch of tickets that hey if you just made them cheaper you could sell them and have fans there like they're going to sell the tickets they're going to sell them out so the prices are going to be there and by the way they're probably going to go up like they'll probably raise them in the next couple of rounds because they're wow. they're selling out at this price three thirty two plus
1: fees to sit in the lower bowl according to. Ted Pretty, uh, Blues at Avalanche, Game One, 151 bucks. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, game Two, 139 on the secondary market. You want to go all the way to St. Louis to watch the Avs and uh, the Blues go at it? 114.
0: It's 332
1: <laughs> to get into the Knights in the playoffs.
3: First well round. that's that's hundred, lower
1: bowl hundred and four
2: hundred and fourteen dollars blues wow yeah and i saw people last night you know coming back at ted and saying what are you talking about i just found tickets much cheaper and i just bought tickets much cheaper and i i listen i, I don't uh i guess i don't pay enough attention to what the prices are uh on the market uh but I, you know, I think that they tend to go down closer to game time but i don't think that's the case now uh like yeah. it was before uh because you know it's it's so limited and so few people can get in there uh, so we'll see how it goes and then we'll see if in, in Colorado it goes up if people are more uh, aware that there's more tickets available and they can go maybe those uh get higher and you know i'm sure with the night series uh they'll be even more expensive in Denver uh, for sure but Listen, it, it's all about what the market will bear. And, and here, the market will bear a lot of money uh, to go to Golden Knights games.
1: Games are coming up Sunday and Tuesday, the first home games in the playoffs as the, the Knights are in for the fourth straight year. And ESPN Las Vegas is excited to call Boy Gaming our official playoff headquarters. Join ESPN Las Vegas for game one on Sunday, 11 a.m. Victories Bar and Grill inside the cannery. You got prizes, food, and drink specials as you guys can cheer on the Knights in round one of the playoffs. So, Victory's Bar and Grill is the viewing site, game one. That is at the Cannery. Puck drop is at noon. You can hang out with ESPN Las Vegas. Finley Toyota in the Valley Auto Mall has the largest Toyota service facility in Nevada. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Now, back to Coalfield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. studio.
1: It's a big Friday for Cofield and company. Good guest list today. We're going to talk to former NFL running back Robert Smith in about 25 minutes. But now's our chance to uh, go over the news of the week around the basketball world, especially college basketball. Curtis Terry, who played for the Rebels, now is on the call of the games on the radio side, is with us. And the decision is in. Mbake Jong, the big man for the last four years for the Rebels, has decided where he's going to go. He was looking at Florida State and Utah and Central Florida. It's going to be UCF. Your thoughts, Curtis?
3: Well, Mbaka has clearly got half the battle figured out in terms of having good weather in whatever location you're (laughs) going to. So you can't really argue with him going down to UCF to Central Florida near Orlando. Going to take the sunshine with him or at least meet it there. But I think it's interesting because obviously he had the chance to come back here to play with Coach Kevin Kruger and his staff in their first year um, or look to go pro or to transfer out. And he obviously made the decision to transfer But it has to be noted that, obviously, David Jenkins, former Rebel, went to Utah. That was a school that was on Mbake's list. But Utah already had um, one of Mbake's native homeland guys from Dakar, Senegal, on their roster in Lahat. So I think it would have been interesting to see him go there. But clearly, uh, he made a choice that was good for him and going to go into Central Florida to be playing for the Golden Knights.
1: What do you think his goal was, playing time or winning? Because... Frankly, between the three programs, Florida State will probably make the NCAAs. They do every year. Utah's got a shot. Craig Smith's putting together something pretty good here with a bunch of transfers. Central Florida actually under Johnny Dawkins, just okay. They made uh, one NCAA tournament in his five years. The last two years, they're 27 and 26. So to me, this has to be about playing time and and trying to win. But this is not a guaranteed slot to go to the
3: NCAAs. No, not by any means. I think the only way you'd take a guaranteed slot for Mbake was to go somewhere where you may contend and compete to get a starting spot and get minutes. But this was a situation where for him, he's obviously going there. Uh, Coach John Dawkins has had had a lot of success kind of in and out, give and take. They made a good run a a couple years back. But I think a situation where if he was going to look to stay in Vegas, I think the writing was on the wall with the big guys that they've got coming in at his position. Wasn't going to be a lot of opportunity, Uh, but I mean, clearly Mbake made a decision that was going to be good for him. Um, And and I I wish nothing but the best for him. Obviously, Mbake was the first four year graduate for UNLV men's basketball um, over a long period of time. And so it's good to see him have some success. But best wishes to Mbake heading to central Florida.
1: Yeah, no way am I ripping. I'm just uh, talking about the decision because I think Mbake did yeoman's work for the rebel program. He had to go through multiple coaches and really he shouldn't have played his first year. He should have been a redshirt that year, and he went out there and got roughed up, and he developed into a pretty solid big man. All right, we got some uh, rules changes that will be tried out uh, this season uh, in the NIT. They'll be experimental. First of all, they're going to work with a rule that allows six fouls. Now, it's a little convoluted. There's different uh, qualifications along the way. Is the sport better if we have six fouls and you know allow a little more physicality but also allow players to stay on the floor and not be so affected by officials' calls?
3: I don't think the game's going to be better just because you're allowing six fouls. I think a better and more efficient rule change would have been changing from two 20 minute halves to four 10 minute quarters. I think that would have been something that would have helped the flow of the game and obviously would have impacted the fouls um, as well as going into the bonus and shooting free throws. Uh, like the women's game has, has made that adjustment um, on the women's college side to match up with the WNBA. But, and you see it, Steve, with the breakdown of safety. If you get four fouls in any half, you're out for the rest of the game. Uh, but you get three in one half and get three in another. I, I like the idea, but I I don't think it's really going to solve the problem um, in, in terms of the foul situation, um, yeah, especially when it comes to the, to, to the flopping scenario, situation scenario um, that comes in line with this as well.
1: So let's talk about the flopping rule. First of all, uh, taking charges has gotten out of control. It's not defense. You're giving yourself up and you're acting. I think a lot of the charges are flops. Um, I think block charge is actually uh, block 90% of the time. 10% are really charges. So... Now, with that judgment call in place and it's not working, now we're going to have a flopping call and give officials more subjectivity. They can call techs on flopping. I hate flopping, but is this really going to fix it?
3: You know the answer to that question. <laughs> no, it's 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 a good idea, right? They're, at least they're trying to fix what has become an issue in the game in terms of guys trying to trying to act and, and create contract and, or contact and get that foul called. In this situation, I think, like you said, it's a very tough call to make that block charge. It's a 50-50 call, depending on where you are, your angle, um, what you see, um, especially game speed. And you, you can't necessarily always review these calls. But in terms of when the flop comes, I mean, I don't like the idea of they give the warning. I mean, either you're going to call a foul or you don't. But then now you're saying you're not even going to give that warning. You're just going to give call a tech. I think that just adds another layer to the game in terms of the officiating that has been rocking up and down over the last few years already. It's going to bring more light to those guys um, and not in a positive way in terms of allowing them to call those texts because guys are going to still continue to flop. I think it's more gamesmanship if you do it tastefully um, and show some of those veteran moves. But in this stage, it's going to change the game. And then so that sixth foul may become necessary for some of those guys who like to kind of toe the line and and, and push the envelope.
1: Let's talk uh, name image likeness, because a lot is going to develop over the summer and the rest of the year. Uh, The NCAA doesn't have a rule. There is no federal rule. Uh, Right now, it's state by state. There's six states that will have name, image, likeness rules in place, and that means that a player can go to a school and get compensated based on his name, image, and likeness. Alabama, Arizona, Florida, Mississippi, New Mexico have rules in place. Georgia just put one in place. I thought this one was really interesting. Uh, The Georgia governor has in their set of rules that up to 75% of the money that is given to an individual player can then be taken, pooled and given to the rest of the athletes, which the concept is interesting because you do want to make sure that you have some money for the Olympic sport athletes, but how is that going to help Georgia or Georgia tech or Jordan, you know, basketball or Georgia football when a player realizes Much of his money will be taken away. Isn't that actually a disadvantage? And I'll ask you this. Are kids going to be aware of what is going on with NIL rules where they're going to pick states that are more advantageous?
3: Now, let's start with, I mean, first things first, and we won't get too far into this, but Georgia legislation, I mean, they've kind of been on the hot seat over the last few months in terms of how things have been handled down there. I like the idea. You want to share the pot. You want to give it to those Olympic sports athletes and teams that don't generate as much money, um, aren't the the dollars generating sports in terms of football and basketball. But in this case, this is going to be big for the student athletes, because to answer your question, yes, they're going to know what's going on, what states allow, what what schools can give them the most money in terms of on their scholarship check uh, that they're going to receive. And this is going to be a recruiting tactic, I believe, for a lot of coaches say, hey, we have this. Outline. This is our portfolio of what we're going to do for you in terms of recruiting. This is how we're going to market you. How you're going to earn extra money. Um, and I think that's smart. And I think any state or um, university that's not in line with trying to get this passed is going to be behind a little bit. Obviously, I don't think it's it's not going to be helpful though for like say Georgia football, Georgia basketball. If they're going down there saying, "Hey, you're going to take some of my money." But Alabama's not. Well, maybe I should just go to Alabama because already Nick Saban's there. Probably going to go to the college football uh, Final Four. Uh, But let me get all of my money that I'm entitled to because it's my name, image, and likeness.
1: Curtis Terry's with us. Let's uh, close out with some NFL. Curtis, of course, played for the Running Rebels. Is now one of the voices of Rebel sports uh, on the basketball games. Seahawks, your team. This is a tough schedule. Um, Seahawks are a glamour team in the league, but the league did them no favors. I think they did a lot of favors for the, the Buccaneers and the Chiefs. The Chiefs got most of their... Tough games out of the division at home. Meanwhile, your Seahawks at Pittsburgh, at Green Bay, also on the road at football team, at Indy. Uh, This is not an easy schedule.
3: No, I think three of our first five are on the road. Um, and like you mentioned, they're, they're not going to be easy contests. And it doesn't surprise me that, that Mr. Tom Brady gets a favorable schedule. Mr. Patrick Mahomes uh, and the Kansas City Chiefs get a favorable schedule. Ex- I expect those things. But I do know one thing I'm going to see them early in the preseason because they're coming to Vegas, baby.
1: You got to connect for the tickets.
3: You know, I might know a guy or two. <laughs> I was like, you, um, be- you better,
1: you better, because this will be one of the more incredible. Preseason scenarios in terms of ticket prices. We are dying in this market to get into the stadium. Like, we, I don't know if you did, I got to go in the stadium and watch a couple of UOV games before it got shut down again. Um, so, I've seen the stadium. Now, I haven't seen it with 65,000 fans. The fury to get tickets in the market, out of the market, Raiders fans coming in from wherever they are in California. That first game, Curtis, and they only have one preseason game, is going to be crazy.
3: Yeah, it's going to be nuts, and, I, and I'm and I'm definitely glad I, I know somebody and two guys in the organization that hopefully can get me not just tickets but can get me field level passes to to watch things uh, pregame before things kick off. And I have not had the chance to go in there. Um, I will though hopefully July tenth for the Garth Brooks concert. Me and my wife had a prolonged date night that got postponed a couple of times. Um, she's actually had the chance to be in there a number of times because she did all the interior signage, and she was actually there this morning um, preparing to do some work because they announced that they're going to have the win field level club in the end zone. And she's doing the signage for that package. She says it's a great facility. Um, I can't wait to get in there. Uh, but Seahawks, Raiders, preseason football is going to be fun come August.
1: She uh, she did signage recently at uh,
3: LV Ballpark too, right? Yeah. Yeah, she did the, uh, the signage at the Las Vegas Ballpark, uh, the outfield, uh, the big Las Vegas Ballpark uh, in the outfield looks and across in, the front of the stadium. Looks freaking um, awesome. Yeah. So she she her and her team at ADS, Architectural Designs and Signs, they're doing a great job. They do a lot of work in town. Uh, So any signage needs, here's a plug. Go check out my wife, Brittany Terry, ADS. They're going to take care of you with your signage.
1: Curtis, you're the man. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Thank you.
3: Thanks, Steve. We'll see you soon.
1: There he is, Curtis Terry, the former running rebel right here on Cofield & Company. Robert Smith is on the way, the former NFL running back and college football analyst for Fox. We'll find out what Robert thought of one of the coolest stories last week. Around the sports world, D.K. Metcalf running that amazing time in the 100.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Read the same player, but he had a positive drug test domestic violence incident with his girlfriend got fight to borrow when he's a freshman strength coach said he wouldn't piss on him if he was on fire Uh, who who do you want on your team and or but what i tell players is you don't realize that as soon as you apply for a job as soon as you put your name in for the draft people are looking for reasons not to pick you
3: now back
0: to Cofield and company in the finley toyota studio. Studio. studio
1: We're a couple of weeks removed from the NFL draft, and uh, yeah, Nick Saban did say the strength coach wouldn't piss on you if you're on fire. Uh, you get his point there. He did a, a whole uh, speech comment on ands versus butts on the resume of a guy going to the NFL. And uh, the basic premise is, hey, don't give people reason not to hire you. Uh, that was actually posted a while back by Robert Smith, who played in the NFL, calls college football or analyzes college football for Fox. And he joins Cofield and company here in Vegas on a Friday. How are you?
0: I'm good, man. Yeah, All it, your producers said that you should like to stalk people's Twitter. You Twitter stalker. Yeah, that's, I saw that a few weeks ago. That was that was hilarious, man. I mean, saying that the strength coach wouldn't, you know, wouldn't uh, relieve himself on you if you're on fire. That's, uh, that's about as bad as it gets, right? Well, I mean, it
1: makes the point, uh, and you, you can explain it. Um, you know, Saban basically was saying, hey, don't give people a reason to not draft you. The, uh, the ands are, are super important. You do not want to
0: have buts. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's interesting thinking back on, on, on my career and, and some of the things that coaches and, and some other staff said to me after the fact. Like what, But the guy that recruited me in high school, uh, the, the, he was a quarterback coach at Ohio State. And he said he was watching me at a track meet, speaking of stalking. But he's watching me at a track meet at Ohio State. They used to have the state meet at the, uh, at the football stadium there. And I I don't know, it was like something from uh, the number that you put on, your, put on your hip or something like that. I went to throw it away and missed the garbage. And I went and picked it up and put it back, you know, put it in the garbage. And he's like, I just want you to know. I saw you do that. I knew you cared. I'm like, wow, that's it's interesting that you got something so, so small, uh, but it, but it, it's an illustration of that point. And then when I was in when I was in the pros or getting ready to head to the pros, um, my rookie season I tore a, a muscle in my quad, and uh, or excuse me, my freshman season at Ohio State I tore a muscle in my quad in training camp. And I was in a in a battle for the for the starting spots. I didn't want to miss any practice. I didn't miss any practice, even though I tore this muscle in my thigh and I had this huge lump that the that the Vikings were evaluating in my in my thigh and and they asked me what happened and they went back and spoke to the uh training staff, I was like, yeah, I didn't miss any practice. And so that was big for the Vikings after the fact. So it was a, a couple examples of examples of very obscure ands.
1: Robert Smith's with us. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the track angle. We have a guy who comes on every Friday, Stanford Route. He was a big track guy at Houston and back to high school. And We were talking about DK Metcalf before uh, he had a chance to win the 100. And then what DK did, I thought there were people out there who were kind of mocking on him for finishing last in the Heat, but he he freaking ran a, a 10 3 6. That is incredible.
0: It's nuts. <laughs> well, I, I don't think, I, honestly, I don't think it's incredible. I think it was good. Um, but it, it's not incredible. I'm a track guy, so it, I think the perspective's a little bit different. I mean, you know, good for him. He's a big guy. Um, but track speed is just different, and I see all these comments, especially from people on Twitter who really don't know better. Uh, and it's no knock against them. They're just not familiar with elite-level track. Like these guys, uh, you know, they're, he wouldn't have finished top five in the state of Texas in the 100. It's not saying it's not a good time. It's just not an incredible time. And people that are around track and, uh, you know, I was, I ran track in, in, in college as well. And I actually qualified for the Olympic trials in 92, but I didn't even go to the trials. And kinda, I kind of regret it. Uh, it would have been fun just to go there. Uh, but I, I qualified automatically for the trials in the 400, but I didn't go because I was preparing for my last football season in Ohio State and just, uh, thought my time would be better spent uh, in football drills over the summer rather than, uh, you know, uh, going to the Olympic trials and the chances of making the team were um, minuscule.
1: Yeah, I think my incredible comment was more about the fact that he, you know, he's not training year-round and he went out there and ran a 10-3-6. I did not know uh, your best. Was your best a 10-2-4? Oh,
0: no. I didn't run a 10-2-4. I I, I, I didn't run uh, the 100 after high school. and I ran 10-68 okay yeah i don't know i don't know i don't know who wrote that but that's you know if someone's gonna lie about you might as well be a compliment right
1: <laughs> you ready wiki wiki ready uh uh smith posted a personal best time at ten 4 in the 100 meters for the buckeyes
0: wiki's wrong oh wow wow that must have must have been a friend of mine yeah maybe my dad my, my dad might have changed it i'm gonna lower it to a nine I'm nine i'm gonna edit it to a nine nine um so <laughs> you know some 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 kid down here ran some kid down here. I live in Texas, by yeah, yeah. the way, and, and those those kids in the six in the a final, I think they two of them, two of them ran like ten flat. That's, wow. and it's, it's it's absolutely insane. So
1: th- this is interesting. Why don't we let's pit the story of Metcalf getting a chance to run for the Olympics and Tim Tebow getting a chance to play tight end in the NFL. Can we can we draw the, the parallels here? Because there are a lot of people, a lot of a lot of former NFL players. Uh, Keyshawn Johnson went freaking crazy at the beginning of the week, telling Tebow, "Your turn is done. Sit down." How do you feel about the situation?
0: Yeah, see, I I think that's 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 funny, and you know, I just I just posted something on Twitter about that about that comparison, and I really don't think that they're they're vastly different. Now, if they were going to give him a chance at quarterback, that'd be something different. But he's talking about tight end, and anybody that watched him play uh, in college knows that he's, he was an absolute tank. And giving a guy a, a, a chance at a roster, you've got to remember, there are like 90 guys that go to training camp. I mean, they, they're more than it's – it's like, it's like twice as many people get cut from a football team as make a basketball team in the NBA. So, I mean, the numbers are completely different. And I don't have a problem with it because – You know, you could say, you're. I mean, are you really taking a chance away from somebody? I don't know how many people, obviously some people that don't get drafted end up making teams. I don't know how many people get cut, like in the first round of cuts, you know, from that group. How many people from that group actually make a team? And if they evaluated them, they said, hey, you know, play tight end, probably some tight end or fullback hybrid type position. Uh, They know how the guy works. Uh, they 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 know what kind
2: of shape he's in, like why does it why does anybody have a problem with that? i just i just I, I don't see it quite frankly well, whether he not whether or not he makes it, i mean do you think do you think he or excuse me whether or not he takes a spot away from somebody? I guess the question is can he make it and and do you think a guy could be away from football for that long, change position, go out, and actually contribute to an NFL team? I think it's possible. I think it's possible because you have to remember it. Like This is something that Bill Belichick wanted to do this a
0: long time ago. Obviously, he was a very respected mind in football, and at the time, Tim Tebow didn't want to do it. I think I, I think that Tim Tebow has, has had difficulty letting go, and I think that's not a revelation to anybody, uh, between a, 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 a player that got drafted after winning a Heisman Trophy and Uh, not working out at the position that he wanted to play, to then transitioning to baseball, Matt not working out. Uh, And his coach from college uh, that knows him as well as anybody on the planet uh, gets uh, a head coaching position in the NFL, uh, has that player that still just kind of wants to hang on, uh, but still gets evaluated by other coaches on the staff, and they say, wow, this guy's in good shape. We think that uh, you know there's a possibility that a guy of his physical abilities, and we saw the way that he ran basically like a fullback in college. I'm not saying that blocking is the easiest thing in the world, and, of course, catching, you know, is he going to be an elite pass catcher? I don't think every tight end in the NFL uh, is, he, is it an elite pass catcher. Some of them have different strengths. I don't know how he catches the ball, but I just don't think that, uh giving him a chance hurts and who knows i mean he's a good enough athlete uh maybe maybe he even gets a gets a chance to make it to that last set of cuts or maybe he even makes it i wouldn't i wouldn't say it's impossible
2: i should also point out i just saw on twitter now Kelvin benjamin is trying to come back as a tight end and uh make the giants we'll see how that how that kind of plays out as well um you, you talked about uh, Urban Meyer there, and and him bringing in Tebow. Like, can Urban Meyer translate his success to the NFL? Will he be a good coach at this level?
0: Yeah, and and I think so much so much of these things is timing, right? Uh, timing and and who is, who's playing that quarterback position, and of course those those two go or, or went hand in hand uh, with what happened in Jacksonville. So, I think all of the pieces are there for him. I mean, you, you get the number one draft pick and Trevor Lawrence. They had all kinds of cap space, all all kinds of chance uh, uh, to make moves. Brings in a good staff. Uh, everything everything is set up for him. But we've seen so many times in the past where it didn't work out for a guy in the end. Even look at you look at with with Nick Saban and. and uh, uh, and, and the Dolphins, and, and, you know, they decided to go for my old quarterback, uh, Dante Culpepper, uh, instead of bringing in Drew Brees. You know, how would that story have looked uh, different uh, potentially if, uh, if, if, if those quarterbacks had been swapped out? So, uh, you know, what concerns me about Urban Meyer is just the kind of the way that I see, saw him deal with losses. Uh, in college, and it seemed to be such a take such a heavy emotional toll on him. That would be the concern for me, because especially even if you've got a guy like Trevor Lawrence, uh, young quarterbacks tend to throw the ball to the other team, uh, and it's it's not like they didn't have some other holes on that roster. So, uh, you know, how is he going to be able to manage that? But I think that you got a good quarterback. You've got some of those uh, uh, other pieces that uh, he's going to need to be successful, and you know. And now we'll see where the chips fall.
1: Robert Smith is with us, the former Vikings running back. You know, you, you mentioned injuries. That's uh, part of reality for football players. Uh, we've got a real tricky situation that went down in uh, Bronco land uh, with Jawan James. Yeah. We've got the NFLPA yeah. battling about being in camp, not in camp. Well, it just came down like two minutes ago that the Broncos have told Jawan James to hit the bricks. So he, they've cut him. Uh, to me, that there's going to be a ripple effect. There's going to be a lot of people pissed off around the NFL.
0: Oh, boy, that's a, that's a, that, is, that is just brutal. And I don't know, uh, a, what's, the, the saying is that what's revealed is interesting and what's hidden is crucial. Um, so I, I think, you know, maybe there's something else at play that just seems like a very unusual move. Uh, this, I don't know what else was said. Uh, but, yeah, that's, it's a tough situation, and you're working out, you're trying to stay in shape. Uh, and you're away from the facility, it's one thing if somebody gets injured, you know, riding a motorcycle or skydiving, uh, you know, a guy that uh, seemed to have been uh, just working out. And we don't know that to be the case. I don't know that to be the case. Uh, but that's, uh, you know, what, uh, what he said and, and what we believe. Um, it, it seems like it's, it's a, a, a terrible move from a PR standpoint alone uh you know let alone from an an ethical standpoint but you know gonna have to find out a little bit more about it before uh i know everything
1: so many thorny issues to navigate for the nfl and so many of them are off the field uh which brings us to getting vaccinated right and the nfl's trying to incentivize Um, guys to get vaccinated let's get back to normal let's start with you first I, again, I stalk Twitter, so, you know, looking for topics. And I saw that a few weeks ago, you were, at, <laughs> remember, you, were at, you know, I'm just doing my job. Uh, you were, at yeah, absolutely. you, you, uh, you got the, uh, the second shot. Um, I mean, this may sound like a, a goofy question, but there are a lot of people who don't want to get vaccinated. Why did you get vaccinated?
0: Yeah, for, for me, it's that I understand that from uh, a, a, a herd uh, immunity standpoint, Uh, and other people that you can pass it on to uh, you know kids that are unvaccinated Um, to me it made sense to get it not because i i think that uh you know i'm in the group that would have a bad result i don't have any underlying conditions that uh you know would exacerbate um you know about with covid but for me it's that if we're trying to get to a certain number of vaccinated people here in the United States, it made sense to do it. And, and knowing the risk side of it, uh, you know, it's, a, it's also in my time in Ohio State, you know, I, I, I worked in uh, I worked in labs doing DNA research and knew, knew that, um, you know, these mRNA vaccines have been in the work for, you know, two decades. Uh, that it it was safe enough. So to me, it it made sense to do.
2: How much of a battle do you think the NFL is going to be in for if they try to not necessarily require it, but just convince players like, hey, if you want to get back to some degree of normalcy, if you're hesitant, you've got to do it.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the thing. And I I don't know what that incentive is going to be. You know, I have a friend that's in the uh, Texas Rangers organization, and uh, he, he said that, you know, if they were told as a team they get to like 80 percent, 80 percent vaccination that, you know, that they could ease some of the restrictions of the facility. And that may be enough for some people uh, to, to have those restrictions lifted, to be able to, uh, you know, not not have the masks inside of the uh, facility. Uh, that would uh, that would be great. Uh, I know for a lot of players. So maybe that's that's enough of the incentive. But I, I've always thought that this was going to be an interesting time. Uh, when, when you start talking about what players are or aren't going to want to get vaccinated for, for various reasons. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me just kind of seeing this, this whole thing unfold. And I think they'll probably do something similar in the NFL because they want to get at least those they, – they divide the team up into tiers like the players and the athletic training staff and the coaches would be in Tier 1. And if they get to a certain percentage – uh, vaccinated in that group, then they feel that uh, that they can safely use some of those restrictions. But you certainly can't force people to
1: do it. I saw you retweet Neil Tyson deGrasse saying, "Knowing just enough about a topic to think you're right, but not enough to know you're wrong." Why did you retweet that? <laughs> I
0: think it's. Good. I mean, it's it's, tw- it's it's Twitter personified, isn't it? Uh, you know, so many bad analogies uh, that people make. Uh, I think. You know, once uh, once once people believe something that they see on Twitter, especially if they've retweeted it, uh, then they they refuse to change their mind on a lot of things. But I think that's unfortunately kind of where we are as a society. There's a there's a great deal of tribalism. Uh, you know, whether it's a whether it's political or or racial, I think that uh, people kind of uh, align themselves with uh, opinions that they feel are are either popular or won't get them in trouble. Uh, And it doesn't matter how much new information that they have uh, that uh, refutes uh, the truth that they may have believed (laughs) about something. Uh, They're just not going to change their mind, or at least not admit publicly that they're changing their mind.
1: Well, you got to, I assume, a couple of lighter months until college football starts up. And those of us here in Vegas freaking love college football. I was just looking at the week one slate, uh, you got Ohio State and uh, Minnesota on a Thursday night. Uh, also, I think you guys have do you guys have uh, the is it Oregon Ohio State? Do you have that game? Oh, I,
0: I, yeah! I just I just I just saw that announcement. That's awesome. I
3: won't yeah, be calling
0: I that it. one. I'm sure that'll be Clatt and Bo- Gus Johnson. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited that one's going to be on Fox. Yeah, and it's, it's just great. I think you know to, to the point about the the vaccinations and. We just uh, uh, saw uh, President Biden just uh, made this uh, announcement in line with what the CDC uh, is, is saying, that vaccinated people can uh, safely be indoors in, in most situations, and we're seeing some of those uh, restrictions being eased. I can't wait to see full football stadiums again. You know, I, I, I called my first game in Memorial Stadium in Nebraska last year. I called my first game uh, in Happy Valley for Penn State last year. Both of the stadiums empty, like, except for those cutouts, and a lot of snow up in Penn State. But it just it, it, it was just so amazing. Like we went to we went to Iowa State. There were twelve thousand people in the stands, and it was just it was so loud. And it just took us back to you know what it was like to be in, inside of a four football stadium. Now that we have these these crowds uh, and these stadiums showing up, it's it's going to remind us. Uh, Uh, Once again, why we love the sport so much. We we love college football with or without the fans. But if you're there uh, and and those fans are there, it's just a a whole different kind of experience.
1: Totally agree. Looking forward to it. Robert, we appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time. Oh, you got
0: it, guys. Have a good one.
1: There he is, Robert Smith, former Ohio State running back, Vikings running back, and uh, outstanding sprinter apparently as well. All right. On the way back, you just heard uh, Robert mention the fact uh, about the mask and uh, CDC yesterday. So here we go. All of us can take off our mask inside, baby.
0: Visit lvsportsnetwork.com for access to the latest podcasts and best interviews.